Welcome to Brand New Doctor with me, Rolake Ojo, Doctor Ten Brand Strategist and Graphic Designer for the Health and Wellness Industry. Each episode, I share important ideas and conversations with doctors, dentists, and industry experts to inspire you with new and exciting ways to make an impact in work, life, and healthcare. Following a path to success is one thing, but carving your own is another. This is for you if you want to go beyond book smart. It bears repeating that being a doctor and a human being is difficult. We have dreams, sorrows, joys, and fears, like everyone else. But the stakes are much higher if we drop the ball while trying to attend to our needs. How do you contend with the fact that doctors often have to prioritize the care of others, even in moments when they are in need of care themselves? My guest, Dr. Vina Babu, is a GP. Bollywood dancer, YouTuber, and influencer. She also sadly experienced the loss of her mother last year due to the late stage complications of type two diabetes. We recorded this episode in late 2022, the year Vina began SADA, the South Asian Diabetes Association, in memory of Helen, her mother, whose life continues to inspire her. The mission. Is to educate and empower members of the South Asian community with diabetes to live healthier lives. This is done by teaching practical ways to manage lifestyle factors, medication, and monitoring. Vina is finding purpose in her pain. What she has to say about finding creative outlets to develop resilience as a doctor may strike a chord with you. This is not to say that grieving someone you care about. Or dealing with difficulties in life should always look like this, but rather, this is to give hope that we can find our own individual ways to cope, and who knows, make something beautiful in the process. Let's begin. Thank you so so much for joining me today, Vina. I appreciate you taking the time because I know that you've got a very kind of busy schedule at the moment. You, you know, you're working on many projects, and you are a GP, which is a full time occupation in and of itself. So, thank you so much for making the time. I'm really grateful. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, and I'm not any busier than you. So, <laughs> so thank you for even having me. And yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. It's my pleasure. So, an idea that I have Been internalizing over the years is that we're limited only by our imagination and what we think is possible. So、mm. we're fed by these ideas that come from society and from medical school of what a doctor should be and how we're supposed to behave. But everything that you're creating through your personal brand and what you've achieved is outside of these kind of preconceived limits. So, what is it that has inspired you and helped you to build your own picture of what is possible? Mm, wow, what a deep question to open with. <laughs> Honestly, 
Yeah, with a clinical profession like medicine, you can't deviate too much from the spine of professionalism when -hmm. it comes to your job. You know, it's all great having a personality and building all of these creative things. But I think that is an arm outside of your workplace. And I think very early on, I understood that separation where you are perceived to be a very obviously credible, trusted, respected individual in the medical workplace. And it's your responsibility to be that person in the workplace, you know. But I think over the last five, 10 years, what social media has done is enabled everybody to look at what these professionals do outside of work. And when I was starting, like I qualified, graduated med school in 2015. And I remember being on Instagram and there was no point of reference for me. There was no one I wanted to know, okay, five years from now, if I was going to be a doctor or 10 years from now, what would that look like if I still wanted to dance? There wasn't anyone on the platform at that time who was doing those things. And so that was really hard to navigate. How do I go about forming this path? Because there was no point of reference. But it was very clear very early on that the professional arm of the job remains that way. And whatever I do on the other side, it could have a spillover, but you keep it very, very separate. And it's very rare that my worlds collide. The odd time a patient may recognize me or, you know, when a lot of medical students may come to classes, but I'm very good at keeping them separate because they are very different, aren't they? Um, yeah, so I think that, and I once you know your work is your work, and outside of that, if you want to expand on what you want to build, then I think it's quite natural with your question of creating a personal brand. It, it wasn't a sought-out idea like that. It was more just following my passion. And then over the years, it developed into something, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's such a lovely thing when you have that kind of natural progression. I guess it's interesting to me because I know that at medical school and we went to the same medical school a lot of the time they were like sort out your Facebook don't put anything personal on there you know there was a lot of that kind of guidance as to like how you should conduct yourself online yeah and so it's it's really great to see that you know in spite of that kind of directive we got to not have a personal life that's visible to anyone that you were able to build something that helps you connect so well with people actually yeah and I think it's interesting because doctors when I speak to a lot of doctors, I thought they would maybe have a negative connotation towards someone who's a medic, but also an artist or doing other things, but actually it was received very, very positively. So throughout my training years, all my supervisors, every, you know, kind of rotation I'd be in, if I told the consultant, oh, I have to leave on time because I have to get to a rehearsal or can I come in early to make up the hours? You know, I'd be quite honest with them. And they actually commended me for it. And they were very encouraging of, me having a life and a passion outside of medicine so actually I have to say I was very surprised by that it wasn't it wasn't judgy or anything and what you're saying at uni that we were told which I think stands true you know when you're in a profession like this you can't be like even with dance for instance I'm very conscious of how I'm dressing what kind of movements I'm doing because tomorrow I always think I don't want anyone to look at the screen and have to turn away I don't want anyone to look at the screen and cringe because of something I'm doing, you know, because it could be a patient. It could be anyone who sees me in a clinical setting, who sees me doing other things and they should feel comfortable and proud that that's my doctor, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's so true. I guess, you know, either way, you know, whether you are 
just kind of expressing yourself online, we're always going to care what people have to say or what people are, are going to be thinking about. But especially so if you are in a profession like medicine and you still need to build trust with people, it is important to to consider those things as well. Yeah. This brings me on to my next question, because I do think that there is a lot of added pressure on doctors as to how they should behave or how they should cope really with things. And I know that you have had a difficult time this year with the passing of your mother, which is obviously a really sad thing to go through, a hard thing to go through. And I feel, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I feel that a lot of the time there's this kind of added pressure on doctors to almost look as if they're coping well with things. It's kind of harder to show a full range of emotion in the way that other people are kind of granted the same way to do this. But I'd love to know what your personal experience has been like, how you have been able to manage the stresses of working as a doctor at the same time as going through a bereavement mm. this year with your family. <laughs> I honestly, I, I, I'm not even sure if I can verbalize this or put it into words, but nothing prepares you nothing prepares you to be on the receiving end of that bad news i have said the same thing to hundreds of patients about end of life about palliative care about delivering news about you may not have you know we're talking about hours to days saying all of this and being empathetic and being next to patients and their families but when you're on the receiving end of that it's a different feeling it's it's a gut wrenching soul you know, crushing feeling and each to their own. But I think personally for me, because I'm the older child, I'm from a South Asian family, you know, I'm not married. There are all these other external cultural pressures from the family members and all of this. So when things did happen, everything, I had to take on a lot of responsibility and a lot of hat. So almost went into autopilot of, okay, what needs to be done? What needs to be organized? Who needs to fly in? What needs to happen? And if I'm honest with you, Going back to work, I went back to work, I think, two days after the funeral. That felt like a break because dealing with all of this was so much to the point where there were so many people at home, I didn't even have privacy to break down and cry. I, I don't know, maybe that's my own you know, shortcoming that I don't feel as comfortable expressing that level of emotion, but also because everyone expected me to be so strong, you know? Yes, because of the profession, but also because I'm the older child, I'm, you know, the older daughter, all those things. So it was actually a lot of pressure. And I agree with you there. I don't think we talk about this enough. So ironically, going back to work for me was a way to switch off and I could just focus on the job, do what I know best, and then come back and deal with this stuff. Yeah. Well, that does not sound like it was an easy thing for you to go through at all. And I think that it's, it's, it's also amazing to hear that even with everything that has happened, you've been able to create something really meaningful this year. You've created the South Asian Diabetes Association in memory of Helen, who's your mother, yeah. to help people in in your community who are living with diabetes to improve their health. It's not an easy thing to do and no one would expect you to do that. But how were you able to turn such a difficult experience of your own into a source of inspiration for so many people? Oh, that's that's so kind, Rolaki. Thank you. It wasn't a thought out process and it wasn't something I set out to do, if I'm honest with you. You know how we all have a bucket list in life that I want to start a charity at some point. I thought it would happen in my 40s and later on. And I never once thought it would be about diabetes, but... Again, it was just a natural thing going back to work, 
and it just happened to be the specific day where the entire clinic was full of 60-something-year-olds with the same problem over and over and over again, non-compliance to medication, non-adherence to treatment, sugar levels through the roof, all because of a lack of communication and understanding and, you know, lack of trust. And I just felt like this, this is a bigger problem than what just happened. And if I went through this personally and had to deal with this, how many families in our country would have had to deal with this kind of loss? So that's what triggered my kind of curiosity about what's actually out there for this community. And then that's what led to, I almost feel like it was part of my grieving process. And even now when I'm working towards the charity, even tonight I have like set block time to do charity work. In a way, I'm, I, I, I can't not keep mum at the centre of it. So in a way, that is my grieving process. And it's a way to keep her memory alive by doing something to help others. Yeah, yeah, that's such a beautiful message, mm -hmm. isn't it, really? just it's it's really really lovely to to hear that that's the kind of way that you are dealing with such a hard thing to happen to you and you're helping other people in the process as well I wonder what did you learn through this process because like you said it you became curious about it the word you use was curious so it's it's trying to understand why this problem exists why do you think yeah it's such a problem in the community and what have you learned about kind of the behavior change that needs to happen so I say curious because, you know, let's go back to basics. I'm a scientist. I go back to figures and data numbers. Looking back at the numbers, you know, we have just over 3.5 million South Asian diabetics in the country. We had over 110,000 deaths in 2021 alone because of complications through diabetes. Yeah. And ethnic minorities, not just South Asians. So Afro-Caribbeans, South Asians, we all have a six-time increased risk of developing diabetes. Wow. Studies are still being done to ascertain exactly what the cause is, but, but they think it's like a multifactorial thing of genetic predisposition, lifestyle factors, not wanting to change certain things, you know, lots of different things. And I, I really had to look at what's out there. And there are the bigger organizations like Diabetes UK and things like that, but there wasn't anything specific for this community. And I just thought rather than maybe targeting the entire ethnic kind of cohort, I should maybe home in and focus on a background that I understand and know and, you know, can relate to much more. And I think our motto, even when we have the Southern meetings a lot, we always say we may not, you know, we may not change the world, but you may change the world for one person. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of our motto every time we go back to it. And it's interesting you asked me that because when we launched Southern, initially the idea was to have operations just within the UK. But now we're in the works of getting our paperwork done so that we'll be a UK operated charity, but we can function all over the world. So Amazing. we could like take whatever we learn and spread it across the other South Asian countries to help them with their risk. Yeah, yeah that is wonderful to hear because of course there are, south asian communities in lots of different yeah. countries across the world not just in the west but yeah. everywhere so yeah that's really really great that you are able to kind of spread that message what what kinds of activities are you doing at the moment that you know you're particularly excited about are there any kind of programs that you have that you'd want to talk about yeah so we're the first thing we're trying to focus is getting everyone signed up with the 100K Lollipop study. So that's a research arm that we've partnered with. Mm -hmm. What they're doing, it's a huge study by the South Asian Biobank, which is collecting data of over 200,000 South Asians over the next three to five years to follow them up to see 
why specifically does this community have this risk and why is this predisposition in this community? So we're at the moment making all the content and videos in five different languages wow. so we can get it all out to people to encourage them to go onto the website. It's free. Log on, sign in. If you have an NHS number, are over 18 in South Asian, you can have free blood work, ECG, a full health check, and that's it. You don't have to do anything else and they will follow you up over the next three to five years. So that's our first arm we're focusing on alongside getting a few other things ready. Oh, that's so great. I love that you're bringing that scientific approach. Like you said, that curiosity and like thinking yeah. about research and really digging to the, the the depths of what's going on here. I've often I've often felt like it's a question that I haven't really been able to answer either. I remember in medical school, they'd always talk about who has a predisposition, but no one could ever really mm. <laughs> tell yeah. us why. So I'm glad yeah. that you are that you are digging into this. I was really interested to kind of ask you more about your process. I'm always interested to hear about what goes on behind the scenes because obviously you are a well-known GP. You share your passion for dance. You're often called upon to give your opinion on TV and you're a role model for many doctors. But people oftentimes aren't seeing the effort that goes into looking effortless. I wanted to know what you've had to try and fail at many times to get to where you are, whether that's with with Sada or with Ivy Dance or sharing your opinions on TV. What have you had to kind of work consistently on that maybe wasn't the easiest thing to do at the start? Yeah. Wow. That is it's got me reflective now. I think the answer is in your question. Just being consistent. Right. It's that simple. Be it with dance, be it with broadcasting, be it with work you put out, content you put out, or even getting better at public speaking or speaking on television. You know, I remember it's it's just gone over a year since I started doing television. And I was sitting with my agent. We were looking at our first, my first TV appearance and comparing how I speak now to how we, how I spoke in the beginning, you know, and it's it's humbling, right? Because you're just like, you're obviously it's not the same. It's live. Number one, you don't, you you sometimes get told the topic, but you don't know what they're going to ask you. Oh, I see. What you say gets then projected because the world at the moment hates GPs and all that hate comes towards you through Twitter, YouTube. It's, it's a very different world, you know, and if I would have to get used to that because the dance community receives you very differently. The dance community is like, Oh ma'am, thank you for the video. Thank you for the tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very respected community. It's very different. Whereas yeah. any of my videos about, you know, medical content or if I'm speaking about an opinion on a political matter, a lot of it is, what does she know? When are we going to have British doctors in our country? <laughs> wow. Yeah, as in, yeah. And there's obviously the sexist stuff of all, you know, there's, there's a lot of things about the way I look or me being female or may not look old enough or whatever they think it is. So it's very interesting. So that was, that was something I had to get used to and just realize actually not to take it personally and just focus on the work that I'm doing. And you have to do a bit of media training and learn. So I think just constantly learning and being consistent. Because if you take too long to sit back and reflect and just ponder, you may, you know, the ship may have sailed. (laughs) So I think while the ship is still, you kind of are like testing the waters, trying new things, something doesn't work, you know, not being too hard on yourself and not taking yourself too seriously, honestly. Because even with the dance, I started the channel in 2015 when I was an F1. In that first two years, as an F1, F2, you will know, our rotor yeah. is insane, you know? So there'd be <laughs> one video every three months, four months. It just depended on my rotor. So if I had, 
if I had free time, I'd meet with the girls and make a video or choreograph something. But then all of that changed when I moved to London for GP training and then had a base. Then I could teach more regularly. I could appear at things more regularly. And everyone just was, the community was so understanding that she does this alongside her work. So I never had that pressure from the dance community of give us more, do more, you know, yeah, the odd videos and things, but they were very understanding. If I held a workshop, they would know that this isn't something that happens regularly. So they would try and come and support and want to learn and push. So I think the answer is just being consistent Mm -hmm. and continually learning as you're going along. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is, that is a really great answer. I think that's my big lesson from my 20s definitely to to be consistent with things regardless of how the results are the first time round don't get Absolutely. discouraged by you kind can't. of the results yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i i've i've felt i have felt discouraged in the past about like oh i could i can't do this very often just like the fact that i'm not been able to do something often <laughs> is yeah. discouraging in and of itself yeah. but, but you have to power through like you're saying sometimes life just is what it is and you have to kind of work around that and and do what you can when you can so i have this phrase that i use yeah. i just you know my cousins my younger cousins <laughs> tell you every time something bad happens it's more strategy okay what, what is so what's the next poa what's a plan of action what are we doing mm, and it's that. never it's never a pity party i always say we're not gonna have a pity party and we're not gonna be the chief guest at this party <laughs> like, yeah we're not gonna sit there feeling sorry <laughs> for ourselves for too long do you know what i mean we have to just yeah. get up and keep moving so yeah that's something that's kind of embedded in me i think from mum She's been through hardship and a half, you know, it's because of her I'm even in this country, it's because of her I had the opportunity to become a doctor. I was the first doctor in my family. So every time I now do something, I almost owe it as a responsibility to her to take it to the next level and do the best I can. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Our parents are are such, you know, key figures in that. I can say the same for my mother as well. Yeah. That coming to the UK, like her bringing us here, we're kind yeah. of first generation and everything. Yeah. And there's just this incredible kind of work ethic that's instilled in you. And I, I don't think that immigrant mothers get enough credit, actually, yeah. I think. I think so. It's, it's, I love that you are creating a foundation in her name because these are not the kind of the, the heroes that are, are sung celebrated. often. Celebrated, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Often. So I am a very big dreamer, let's say, I'm a big dreamer. And I really do believe that we are limited only by our imaginations. Me as a designer, I... I think often about the future of healthcare and I envision a future where design and branding is used in healthcare to help mm. patients to connect better with their doctors, to build trust between patients and the professionals that care for them. Mm-hmm. So something I've started to ask people, and I'd like to ask you too, is what you think would be a better future? What better future do you imagine for healthcare? So, you know, when you said about being a dreamer, I think... Yeah most people are dreamers but I think the problem happens when you remain dreaming and not waking up from your dream to make your dreams a reality Mm, yeah so I think action beyond every anything else so even if in terms of what the future looks like with the NHS anything that needs to be done I think we need to be proactive rather than reactive and Mm. that is key and I hope that's the future we have to give you a very prime example with the whole strep A cases rising, the entire country needs penicillin. And the second line would be clarithromycin or erythromycin. 
Today in clinic, the pharmacy had to reject at least five prescriptions because there's a national shortage of penicillin. Now, this is something that I don't think should even be a problem because as soon as the cases were rising, we should have been proactive. You know, I'm talking about senior officials in the government to make plans to put, get orders in so that we don't get to a position where we run out of the medication. You know, the same way back in COVID where why are we looking for PPE when we knew what, what we needed before we needed? So anticipate, don't react and be proactive rather than reactive. So I hope the future of the NHS is way more proactive for things that we can predict so we can avoid, you know, fatalities. That's a very powerful thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that um, just having a bias towards action, I don't remember who said this, but this kind of phrase of a bias towards action is a really kind of good thing to mm. drum into our heads. Spend you know, as much time as we spend thinking about our actions, we should spend double the time actually carrying carrying those things out and making it's, them happen. It's like, you know, in, in the winter when people yeah. are like, oh, can't be bothered to get to the gym. I tell my patients, as soon as you have the thought, before you count to five, put your trainers on. Yeah. Because don't let your mind convince you out of it. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you're going to look at the bed, you're going to look at the food, you're going to look at... Mm. Before you get distracted by yourself, get your trainers on and get out of the door then, you know, you have to make your way there. And half the struggle is getting there. Once you're there, it's fine. Yeah. It's funny how much we have to convince our minds of things. We we talk ourselves into things. We talk ourselves out of it as well. Yeah. And yeah, we, we oftentimes just need to get out of our own way and, and do the things that we, we want to do. So, so yeah, to, to finish off, something that I wanted to ask you, and I ask all of my guests who come on the podcast, I just want you to imagine for a moment that you are the dean of the medical school and you yeah. can influence the curriculum in whatever way you, you see fit. So what do you think medical students should be learning to prepare them for the realities of working life, whether that's to do with creating success, or coping with difficult moments in their life, or bringing a project to life, anything you can think of, what would you want them to learn to to prepare them okay so yeah. if I was the dean of the medical school the truth I don't think you can prepare for the reality of working as a doctor until you work and trust me you can you just cannot <laughs> but I would want to impose every student to pursue some creative field something creative because with creativity comes failure with failure you build resilience and I think resilience building is like a muscle training. And I think the more resilience you have before you enter the work world, the more equipped you will be. So that's where I'm thinking, but anything creative and not just kind of being methodical and logical thinking and, you know, thinking with patterns, mm -hmm. how we're taught to think in med school. I think being creative really sheds light on a lot of that. Yeah. I would totally agree with you. I think that is a great, great answer. I love that because it reminded me of what you were saying earlier. You had a lot of pressures at work, but your dance was for you and no one was putting the pressure on you there yeah. and people could understand where you're coming from. And we really need something like that in our lives where yeah. we're doing it because we want to do it and we do it when we have the energy for it, but we're not forced to do it. Yeah. And it's really great to have that kind of distinction for sure. I think that's a, a really powerful thing. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. And yeah, I, I really, really hope all the best for Fasada. I'd love to see where you, you go with that. Yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Vina. I'm so inspired by the passion she pours into everything she does. And I hope you feel inspired too. If you want to support Sada, 
visit the website at sada.org. That's S-A-D-A-H dot org. And the link is in the show notes. If you liked this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and share this with anyone you think could benefit from the message. You can also follow Vina on Instagram at dr.vina and I am on Instagram at rollercare.so. I'd love to hear from you and I'll be back soon with another episode of Brand New Doctor. Bye.